Yeah, so I said clam. They asked what kind of birthday cake would you uh-huh. like, and I said clam. A clam. You wanted a, a birthday, a clam birthday cake. Well, just a clam cake. Oh, a cl- <laughs> The only problem is when I tried to blow out the candles, it rolled off the table. Yeah, and then there's like tartar, <laughs> tartar sauce or some kind <laughs> yeah. of rope to deal with, and you don't want to get that all over. It was not. Yeah. I oh. should have... Like placed it in a clump of tartar sauce to hold, like glue. That's, yeah, that's a good. Oh yeah. wait, hey, uh, we're rolling. All right, well let's roll. Well, I'm Rich and I'm Mark and we are two guys on, on Block, Block Island. All right, well uh, I am so happy to announce this guest. I'm so glad he was willing to take time out of his schedule. Um, friend of mine we share some family uh unofficially and uh he is the first for us because we've had his granddaughter on as a guest yes madden indeed and now we have this is the first time i think two guys on block island has had a granddaughter and a grandfather i think you're right yeah so yes. uh, all right well let's get to it uh author extraordinaire uh you know just a wonderful man loves to fish Jack Lynch, thank you for joining us. Hello, Jack. Happy to be here. Well, so are we. This is yeah. going to be great. Yeah. So uh, we like to kick off our interviews by just asking your story of uh, when did you first discover Block Island and what made you, you know, what what tell us what happened. How did you get here? Well, fishing brought me here for sure. I caught my first bass fishing out of Montauk, but just off the waters here. And that bass is still mounted and, and uh, in in. Uh, well, Helen won't put it in the bedroom, but it's close, it's close, <laughs> it's close by. Yeah. And uh, we had a house out in, in Remsenburg, which is near West Hampton. And we came out here with the boat and the two kids in October of probably around 1980, 81, something like that. We stayed at the spring house and um, we had a little family meeting, which I rigged. <laughs> and I, and I said, loaded the car. I said, let's let's sell the house in Remsenburg and build a house out here. And they all liked that idea. Now, so, when, when you said yeah. uh, Remsenburg, West Hampton, you mean on Long Island? Yeah, exactly. The yeah. Hamptons. Yes. So you you lived in the Hamptons? No, that was we had a summer place there. Right, but I mean, wow. Yeah, we, was it like that? Was it tawny and jet setty back then? Not well? Remsenburg. No. Okay. Oh, but West Hampton and Southampton and yeah. East Hampton and and Quag. Oh, that was very Tony. Okay. The one thing I didn't like about it out there is I practiced law in the city, and all the things I didn't like the city were out there. So, <laughs> so they followed you I, out every yeah, weekend. So yeah. I said, I said we got to we got to move out of here. And uh, uh, Block Island was I knew Block Island because I'd stopped here one time we were fishing. It's also uh, weekend reachable uh, from where we lived in Westchester, so that made a lot more sense because we we we'd been to Nantucket, we'd been to the Vineyard, but you know that was impossible to get to back there in the 80s. So that's how we came here. And then I met um, Blake Phelan. Um, uh, what was her name? Sullivan. Um, oh, yeah. My memories and shot yeah, too. She was, yeah. she was terrific and uh, with Sullivan Real Estate. Right. And um, so she showed us a bunch of things, including land and stuff. And we saw the land up at, at Sheffield Farm. Talked to Blake. He was willing to build me a house. And I said, we're, we're on. So I have an architect uh, who spent a lot of time on Block Island. Uh, he had a house here. I think he since sold it, Bob Riley. So he designed a house for me. We had an old house down in Westchester, and he he added on to that two or three times. So he's a very creative guy, and we built this perfectly square house, twenty nine feet square, and then subsequently added on to it twice. And um, 
Well, the you family know, we, kept growing. You know, kids family, turned into yeah, grandkids. and Right. And so we needed privacy and things like that. So, And then as, as the grandkids grew, uh, not they wouldn't come by one. They'd come by three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and they would be unannounced. <laughs> so they would show up and we'd have enough for, uh, you know, for a wiffle ball game. Yeah. Oh, with, good with to a, see you with, kids. With a bench. You <laughs> How know? long are you here for? <laughs> <Yeah>. The summer. <laughs> right. I also, I just had a thought. Uh, you know, I think you can, you can assume that you've done fairly well for yourself in life if you keep an architect on retainer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he's just a good friend. He, and okay. But he's a very talented guy. So. Well, and I think as we talk stories, the one thing I know about Jackie is he's very um uh he he's spiritual but he also and i'll tell you some stories about the wedding we were both just at but he's spiritual and he's a, he's a giving man so in other words he knew the kids and grandkids and he knew what was coming yeah, you, so he you, he did yeah. these for them not right. for he didn't need an extra room for his fly fishing equipment or right. anything you know he <laughs> he knew what he was doing right? Right. and that's a, that's a caring person you know obviously one yeah. of one of the friends was a guy named Willie Yan who was a friend of Angus's uh, it's Caitlin's um, youngest son. He uh, just uh, he's been with the Oriole system for four years, and uh, when he came out, of course he would he'd pick up the wiffle bat and he hit all the wiffle balls into the gutters. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to change the field so they were hit away from the house. They didn't work like one of those yeah. leaf things to yeah, no. stop the. No, no, there's he, no leaves out here anyway. No, really. So he was the ringer in your wiffle ball. Exactly games, right. Everyone exactly. picked him first. Right. right. Yeah, and I, I loved your house. We, you know, I'm not gonna lie. I was there occasionally when Jack was not. <laughs> uh-huh. I had uh-huh. somebody had to supervise all these young people. Right. We, yeah, were, we, you know, we did under hear yeah. the stories through Maddie mm-hmm. that there was yeah. maybe one or two <laughs> unsanctioned uh, parties yeah, at yes, your place back yes. in the day. Yeah, yeah. There was might even one. I wasn't there, but I heard something got broken didn't madden talk about that on a like there i was think a so. stereo maybe a stereo it was something that yeah. she was very upset that you know but um all right so before block island where did you grow up like where were you born and raised and- okay i was uh, <laughs> this is a quick side by sidebar <laughs> because i was born in buffalo new york my parents were both in buffalo but at the time um, my mother was our, her firstborn were twins. I had a, I had a sister, twin sister. They lived in Manhattan in, um, um, right on 42nd street. Um, what's that called? I can't remember. It'll come back to me anyway. Um, but somehow my mother wanted to be up in Buffalo with her mother. So she took the train up to Buffalo. We were born there, lived there for about two weeks and then came back down to Manhattan. Um, uh, Murray Hill apartments, I think it was called. Anyway, uh, so I've always said that's why I don't have a na- I don't have a, a Manhattan accent. Just because those two weeks, those, those, yeah, just <laughs> born, born in Buffalo. So that so we we lived in New Jersey during the war, moved to Westchester right after the war, and this is World War Two. And I so I grew up in uh, in Irvington, New York. I went to Catholic school there. I went to the Catholic boys' school in White Plains called Stepanak. I went to Fordham College down in uh, oh, in the Bronx. In the Bronx, Fordham my, University. My father was a was a great Jesuit fan uh, and devotee. He uh, he went to Canisius College, high school and college up in in Buffalo, and he kind of told me um, when it was time to go to college. He said, "You can go to any Jesuit college you want, long as, <laughs> as long as it's Fordham." So, so, so. And, he, and my brother was two years behind me. He said, you, "Your brother gets the same deal, so don't bother with this this conversation again." <laughs> So, a lot of choices there. Yeah, right. yes, me, options. Me, right, good to have options. Let, let me think about that, and <laughs> yeah. we'll uh, we'll make it. So, so then I and I've graduated with a degree in chemistry from Fordham, and uh, I didn't I couldn't quite know what to do with that because I wasn't interested in getting a PhD, which meant you were going to teach, 
and uh, t- teaching did come back into my life in a different way, and uh, and or sales. And I said, I'm, I'm no salesman. So uh, I knew a couple of guys uh, in the faculty he had been involved in intellectual property patents and things like that. And uh, so I kind of looked into that and went to Georgetown Law School, uh, graduated in 63. I had a job with a small law firm and then on a corporation, and I moved up to New York uh, with them. And I was with them for about 10 years. And then I went into private practice in New York City. And um, in about 1978, when was it? Yeah, I think that's right, 78 or, uh, yeah. Yeah, about 78, anyway. I've, another lawyer and I started our own firm, and I had the, had that firm for about 20 years. And we were very successful. We had a great firm. And uh, about 20, 15, 15 lawyers and maybe 25 people in staff. And and, um, and you mostly dealt with, did you deal with copyright? or Intellectual, intellectual property was called, but I'm, I'm, I'm basically essentially a patent lawyer, but trademarks go along with that and as well as copyrights are there any uh trademarks or patents that you helped see through that are now like oh my gosh it's like velcro or whatever that you can recall well i worked on some velcro stuff did yeah. you yeah well there you go. <laughs> look at that I'm i nailed it. that one out of thin air <laughs> uh, people people ask me that and i usually go blank because i handled so many yeah, matters. Yeah. yeah yeah you know i'll be 85 in uh in August. Really? And I've been practicing law for 60 plus years. So it's, wow. and I go back and think of it. I did one of my best clients was a guy up in Connecticut. He invented uh, the plate, the, the lithographic printing plate that's used to make all the newspapers in the country. Wow. And he had a very basic patent on that. And we sued a lot of people and made a lot of money for him <laughs> and, and me. And me. So, um, so then, uh, and then we merged our firm with a large national firm called Fulbright and Jaworski. Uh, Jaworski was the, the, the Watergate prosecutor. And then, uh, um, and we took 10 lawyers and 10 staff into that firm. Uh, and then I moved down to Washington, uh, with, to go to their Washington office in, uh, 1999. And I was with them for four years. And my deal with them was that I would, I would retire or could, ret- or could stay on as counsel, but I decided to, to cut the cord and, and go out, uh, just to just leave the firm at 2003 at age 65 but a lot of clients a lot of people followed me and so i turned away an awful lot of work but i hung on to some work that was um not fee-based anymore but it was equity-based and i have about two or three clients like that and some of them done quite well so i'm uh uh, I'm still playing the game. Wow. One of, wow. One of my one of my big uh, associations is a guy named Mark Marciello who um, has a, had a house here, and he's I think he's trying to build another house. And I met him fishing, and uh, he, we had lunch at Dead Eyes about six or seven years ago. And he starts telling me about this project, and he says, I, you know, he's talking about copyrights and trademarks. I said, well, wait a minute. I said, where do you get your information? He said, well, I don't know. I have to, you know, pick Google it. Up. it. I Google it. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> I said, well, let me, let me, let me start setting you straight yeah, about this. Yeah. <laughs> and so we've been together ever since. We've done a lot of deals together. So that's been oh, a lot wonderful. of fun. Wow. That's a lot of fun. You're still that's hustling. A, you still got your hustle. I do. I do. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but average. don't forget, sales was not for him. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. right. Um, it must have been. And it must still be uh, a, a cool um, le- world to live in in that in the in that legal realm because you're dealing with uh, sounds like geniuses sometimes. Right? Oh yeah, you know, I, really I had... smart people. You're not chasing ambulances or anything no, no, like that. No, yeah. they, they they chase me. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Good position to be in. Uh, 
one of the things that I went to Georgetown Law School and, and uh, they had an IP program that was sort of behind, the law schools generally were behind the law that was, that was evolving at a very fast pace in the 80s and 90s and into the 2000s. And uh, a, a, a wonderful woman who was a dean at Georgetown, assistant dean, she recruited me to come and teach a course. And, uh, and I started doing that around 97. And uh, I would teach on Saturday mornings. And then after a while, the next year, I taught another course. And then I went out to California, the University of San Francisco Law School, taught uh, IP courses there. I taught them in Prague and at, uh, at the Charles University. I taught at, uh, in Dublin at, Char at uh, Trinity College. Yeah. And I was in Spain. So, I mean, and, and it was all of this lecturing um, in IP law. And about that time, there was a huge influx of cases at the Supreme Court, and they handed down some very basic decisions. Uh, patent law was pretty diverse uh, among the circuits in the country. And uh, they started a, a, a new federal circuit court uh, called the Federal Circuit in Washington, and that was to level the field, the playing field, because you had the patent law of the Fifth Circuit and the patent law of the First Circuit. So people would form shops, so they wanted to stop that, and um, which, which, which happened. And then I had a lot of appeals to that court in the very beginning, and a lot of the early stuff that they uh, leveled the playing field with were cases that I had handled. So. Wow. That was it. Was a lot of fun. That's, I really understood about half of that. I'm just, I was just thinking that as, as Jack was talking. I'm like, is he too smart to be on this podcast you know, right now? This is the first time I said that I should have gone to law school. This, epi <laughs> this episode may self destruct from the genius that's here in the room today. I got flattery will get you nowhere. Um, well, did you? Did you? I have a follow up question. Did, was that in the '90s? You said there was uh, all of these cases. Did that have? Anything to do with the tech boom at the time? Absolutely. And yeah, that's why. Absolutely. Computers and internet and all the that music stuff. streaming. Music streaming. Yeah. yeah. You know, wow. one of the, one of the really um, important decisions at that time is what is what can be patented. Yeah. And uh, the, the subject matter, and um, they they ruled on uh, whether or not you could patent genes and things that existed in nature. Yeah. Uh, you can. Holy man. Wow. Yeah. And 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 you know there's, there there are a lot of uh, patents that were granted, the patent office wasn't sure what to do with it. Uh, for instance, uh, synthetic insulin. Now that's that's patentable because it's synthetic. But if you t if you extract its insulin from the blood and try to patent that insulin, that's in an, that's part of your nature, and you, you really can't do that. You can't patent nature. Yeah. So there were some very important cases on that. Very complicated. Wow. Um, and then I think uh, uh, certainly in the computer area. They had, you know, you had a general purpose computer, which you understand what that is, and you can program it to do anything you want because, you know, if somebody comes to that, get, get the game with a certain amount of talent as to how to, how to draw out of the computer. And they said that's not patentable because that's simply um, f the function of the, of the computer. I mean, the people that gen generated the computer, were, that, was, that was an incredible advance in science. But the use of the computer, unless it was something that really changed exactly the, or just changed the way the computer operated. So there were, there were thousands of patents granted that were really no good because they didn't then do nothing more than take a... Take a, advantage a, of the full... You know, take a yeah. system that, let's say you had a, a fax-generated or fax-based uh, order system with your customers. You know, they, you give them a fax sheet and they could fill it in from the last order and fax it, fax it in. Well, put, make the computer do that is is not 
that's not inventive genius. Right, right, that's right, routine. right. That's right. routine. It's getting a patent on a hammer because you hold it sideways and hammer in small nails versus well, it's just a tool and it's, you know, just because well, you use it, it differently doesn't mean it's. But a, a new use of, a, of, an, of a, an old drug, you know, let's say you take aspirin and you find out that ta- it cures calluses. You can get a patent on that because oh. that, that that use hadn't been used or generated or discovered. Wow! So huh. and uh, anyway, I didn't think I was coming here to give a patent. No, no, no we well, get, well, well, I this is so entranced in that. I'm like, the other thing know. about the podcast here is that we go, you know, sidebars and tangents are <laughs> okay, completely yeah, fine. Yeah, all right. um, because you know, here's the thing: I think you know, people look at Block Island sometimes. And they're like, oh, what a cute little island with a bunch of cute little people that live out there. How simple their <laughs> lives must be. But they don't really realize yeah. there are a lot of, we have a lot of very, A, talented and, and smart people that come and dwell here and have become ingrained and enmeshed in the community. So Yeah, it's a, like every things. member of a big family yeah. of all different levels in yeah. education. Yeah, and, we're, know, we're, you, the, we're the two dumb kids yeah, that uh, never yeah. went to college. But we're pulling it <laughs> but off. We're okay. pulling it, yeah, we're yeah. fake it. Yeah. As long yeah. as we do three you know, interviews with one guest, then we can combine our IQs <laughs> to try to, to, try to <laughs> yeah. hold our tread water up exactly. there. Exactly. <laughs> all right, so let's get back to Block Island. I, I would almost say, do you think that you were, and I, this is not a negative thing at all, but I almost remember when I was a kid. So when you say 80, I was probably in eighth grade, say, you know, you coming here and building a house as a New York lawyer were probably the first round of people going, Ooh, here comes the, the next generation of block Island, you know, gentrification, shall we say. And here we are, you know, three decades, four decades later, and it's a whole new, different style. But, but I think yeah. one, I wonder if people thought that, like, oh, great, here comes the yeah, lawyer you, from New York. You know that guy? Like, mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that's interesting because uh, Blake Phelan, uh, who I got to know fairly well because he built a house and everything, and he said to me, you know, and, and I, we would show up as soon as the weather was decent, like in March and April, and, and we'd come all the way into um, maybe even to November, come up for Thanksgiving. And, uh, of course, if I— Before gonna, it was fashionable. Now yeah, everybody yeah, does right, that. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, he said to me, he said, you know, when you came on the island before Memorial Day or after Labor Day, everybody in the island knew that you were here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he said, it's just—and you guys started this, changed this thing. I had a—there were a couple of other friends, like Dennis Pinkernell and his wife built a house down on the on the west side of the island. Yep, he I was, know the house. He's, yep. He was a lawyer from New York and a great friend. He was—he came out about that time. Yeah. Uh, and um, I, uh, I've i always met interesting people out here. This, Unlike Nantucket or the Vineyard, there, at that time, there was really no big social network. And, right, right. And yeah. you'd, you'd, meet, you'd the... meet, I knew more Islanders before I knew, you know, summer people. Yeah. yeah. Because I was involved with Charlie Dodge, and I started the, the fishing business called uh, Jackspot Charters. And then I got involved in the restaurant. I was going to say, this is a good block, one for which you. Which restaurant? Block Island Broiler. Oh, currently in the Mohegan. Oh, so I, right. I was going right. to let that. Bo- I didn't tell him that you had anything to do because, because you know he and his wife Katie ran the Mohegan Cafe for three or three years. Uh, four, five it was years? six years. Six years. Six really? years. Seemed okay. like three though. Didn't yeah, it just oh, feel God, like right? No, it felt more like sixty. <laughs> yeah. How did you get roped in, or in? in well, you know, what made you decide to go that route? Well, we had uh, our three daughters graduated at the same in the same year from college, high school, and grade school. So Helen, uh, Helen and her sister had, had spent some time, grew up in, in Hawaii. So we made a trip to Hawaii, and uh, one of the restaurants we went in was called a Kaloa Broiler. 
and it was, a, and I had all these women with me, and I was starving for some male companionship. So, uh, <laughs> you'd go to this restaurant, and uh, and you'd look at this chalkboard, and it, they'd say they had tuna. So you order tuna, and they bring it out to you raw, and there was a big charcoal file in the middle of the room, and you went up and cook your cook the steaks or whatever uh -huh. it was. And there were guys doing that, so I could talk to guys. <laughs> and uh, so we came back, and Caitlin had been the old. This is my oldest. So how many daughters? How many three? Kids, how many? Three, you have kids. Three, three kids. Three, three kids. Eight grandchildren. Is Caitlin's the oldest? Yep. Born in sixty four. Jenny is uh, born in sixty six, and Meg is born in seventy. I remember the years they're born better than their ages. Yeah, yeah. That That's takes easier. math because that, that doesn't change. They, they, they <laughs> right. change. Anyway, and then you had twins in the family, so Caitlin had twins. Right. Exactly. Any other twin grandchildren, or was that the only? No, that's twins? the only two. Yeah. So, so I said, "Man's a twin." Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I do remember that. Okay. So, um, uh, Caitlin had been to culinary school down in Maryland after uh, after college. And I said to myself, well, what the hell do you do with a girl that's, or a daughter that's coming out? You open a restaurant. You know, that was absolutely, you know, natural. So I, I negotiated with Cliff, um, Cliff, Cliff, uh, power, com power company. McGinnis, Cliff McGinnis, McGinnis. yep. And I took, got the space where I think Red's Diner was there just before. That's right, me. Red's Lunch. It was Red's Lunch, yeah. 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 Oh, I don't remember that. Where was that? I don't remember, but I've been told. It was oh, say, in Mohegan. the same spot. Yeah, it was oh, Red's okay. Lunch. So, only, I, so before Red's Lunch, I think it used to be called Baroni's when exactly. I was Exactly. That's yeah, right. Exactly. Okay. okay. Yep. So we, uh, we opened it up and we, uh, uh, we hired, um, oh boy. Donald um, Hauser, I think, Hauser, if I recall. He and he had broken up uh, or left the restaurant. I, don't, I forget which one. And Caitlin would call me in the office. She said, well, I lost a chef today who was at Red's lunch. And then about a hired one, too. And, you know, and I said, well, okay, well, I guess we're rolling. And uh, one of the things we did was uh, one, I guess, in March or, you know, before things got rolling, we went down to the Bowery in Manhattan to the used uh uh, restaurant stuff. Oh you know, yeah, pull a pull a, a you know station wagon up on a sidewalk and go in and grab plates and stuff. <laughs> and it was it was a circus. Mm -hmm. But we outfitted it. We uh, you know, cleaned clean the restaurant up and had our own artwork and all that stuff in there. We had it for three years and it was it was a great great time. It was a lot of fun. Mm, that's a great thing to hear you say because so many people have it for three years and go and yeah. they're like it was like yeah it was the worst three years life. of my life. Yeah. Well, you they, know, the old uh, sign that you guys had. I don't know if you knew it was still in there. Yes, it's still. It may still. I haven't checked. I, I didn't notice. I was in there a couple of weeks ago, but I didn't notice if the it's, sign was still. It's there. there. That was yeah. the one that was on the outside. It was yeah. called the Brock Island Bro. I had that made up. In as a matter of fact, I was in. A, I was in a, a, a case up in Boston, and I happened to notice this sign, and I climbed up on a car. And I could see who made the sign, and I I hired the guys to do that. Really, and they they did a small one, which I still have, and uh, and the big one. So I let them put it in the restaurant when they when uh, when they took it over. Yeah, Mohegan. Mohegan. Yeah, that's um, uh, who's that? Who's Mike Finnemore. Mike, Mike Finnemore. He was all sure. about the signs. The, yep. He he liked yep. collecting yep. all the old. So I signs. let him put it inside, and I said, if you've signed, it's got to come back to me when it's in it. Do but, you know why I think he did that? By the way, I think he looked at I think he looked at the signs as like scalps, like from old <laughs> business <laughs> uh, adversaries that didn't make it, and so he would just hang them. Well, up. there's a lot of there's a lot of that on Block Island. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. But he uh, had the museum. Yeah, that was, right. you know, and the restaurant business is tough. It I is. I mean, tough. it's not. I feel bad for some people feeling really bad, and I want to tell them you're not alone it's right. like you're not it's a it's low a grind, percentage man. truly grinds through and or, is successful or don't do it 
Yeah. yeah, don't. I mean, yeah. I've yeah. seen so many people had no idea what they're getting into. No. So they yeah, just, that would have been you me. Know, yeah. <laughs> you know, they say, oh, yeah, I'm about to, I'm retired, so I'm going to open up a restaurant. And I oh. hear them say, I'm retired and I want to lose everything I've had. Yeah. You know, I've yeah. my whole life. <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. It's, I, it's, there's a glamour side to it. When you only yeah. see that, you yep. feel, you know, yeah. This, uh, well, you see the front of house. You see the front of house, yeah. You don't we, see. You know, we, we, if we had the restaurant uh, more than this very, small window of, of you know may to maybe october uh we did, we were full all the time it was a white tablecloth I man we had a terrific menu and we, yeah. had, we had a great following yep. but it just wasn't enough we kind of broke even yeah yeah and um you know and it, but, but it wasn't enough to you know to, to make any money at it 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 literally for me i finally came after like 15 years I said to my partner, I said, it's all about the last two weeks of August. By that point, you're there and you're about to make money. And yeah, if you have two yeah. good weeks of weather and crowds, <laughs> you have a good summer. Yeah. But if you get a nor'easter in there, if anything cuts into those two weeks, that's really that's really what hits your profit. And I found when you were explaining that to people, they're like, <laughs> so how does this work? What do you? And you're like, well, you know, basically we make all our money to survive on for the entire year in right. yeah right. two in to those, four weeks in basically last yeah. couple of weeks and their eyes you know. get wide and they go that sounds a little like scary and yeah. you're like yeah yeah it is <laughs> hardest thing about being in business is getting used to own people money right yeah if you, if you get comfortable with that you're okay you're gonna Should be we, fine we had donna left us after two years and i got another gal named donna and selico from the city and she was fantastic she was really a good chef but at that point uh at, after three years Caitlin wanted to go off and you know get back to life, and uh, uh, and we had all these friends of hers. That we had more college graduates working for us. Yeah, uh, and um, so I was on a business trip, and I was in I was in Switzerland. I was checking into this little hotel in um, in Geneva, I think it was. And the woman, this French speaking woman, she went. Oh, she saw my name, and she said, "Ah, Monsieur, you've ruined my fax machine because." <laughs> Cliff McGinnis's partner was Casasa, uh, uh, Al Casasa. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the doctor. Yep. So he had bought Cliff out of the out of the business up here, uh, out of the building, and uh, leased it to Mohegan, uh, and uh, I guess the hotel and everything. Uh, so um, let me think. Uh, then, oh, then I think he sold the business to uh, Mike. Right. And uh, and because I had a lease. And he did. This was a very generous thing on his part. He said, "I'm going to allocate you at ten percent, and uh, so when we do the mortgage, we're going to. I'm going to take the back the mortgage because the banks wouldn't write any paper out here at that time." Right. He said he put me on the mortgage, and uh, so I used to get a check every month for years. And I used to say to myself, "Well, in my stomach, I'm I'm getting even." But into my brain, I never, I never did the math. I knew, I knew I'd lost money, but that was yeah. yeah and this yeah, was Cliff yeah. that did that. No, no, this was Kazaza, oh, Alcazaza. Oh, yeah. right. And then, um, uh, within about seven or eight years, this was it was going on for quite a while. Oh, and it was a ten percent mortgage. I mean, it was a big mortgage. Yeah. And then finally, the banks were starting to men, lend some money out here, so Mike liquidated that mortgage. I got to pay out for that, and then you know all everything was good. It was so it was a, it was a good run, and uh, you know I never had any notice of that notion that that it would it would evolve that way. Yeah, yeah, but it did. Yeah, well, that's wow. uh, fair business. And then is Mike a good thing. Mike was the guy who bought the uh, High View. That's right. And and you know the Weatherby story is a whole other 
Oh, we're, get, we're gonna, yeah. Yeah. We're gonna, gonna yeah. get to that. Yeah. So I, okay. Definitely, I want to for yeah. sure. Absolutely. You know what? Before we go any further, I think we're going to take a quick uh, break so we can hear from our sponsors who help us keep this podcast going. <laughs> mm. So we'll be right back with Jack in just one minute. Hey, Rich, I feel like I need some exercise. Let's go run the Block Island Triathlon. Um, I'm more into low impact. How about a gentle paddle? Oh, sure. Well, we could go explore the Great Salt Pond on a kayak or paddleboard from Ford Island Kayaks. Yeah, they and you know they have the Hobie pedal boards, too. You ever try one of those out? It's like a bike on water. I've heard about that. They've also got the Peekaboo Glass Bottom Kayak. Yeah, and you can rent all their stuff by the hour, or half day, full day, or even a whole week. If you're going to stay for a week, you can reserve a, a kayak for a week. Yeah, but you know what? You might want to make a reservation if your group is six or more. That's a hot tip for you. Well, that's a good tip. I like it. So uh, basically, you go explore the Great Salt Pond. It's got hidden coves. There's the oyster farms out there, the marinas. Andy's Way is great, you know? Yeah, it's super cool. And it's operated by, and it's located adjacent to our friends at the BI Fishworks place. Oh, nice. All right. Well, you can hear everything we just talked about and more if you go to the BIFishworks.com or you can give them a call at 401 466 Nine two. You know what my favorite thing to do on a paddleboard is? What's that? I like to bring a sandwich with me and paddle out to Andy's way and just kind of camp out there and eat my sandwich. It's like finding your own private spot. I just try to not get sand in my sandwich. Well, better in your sandwich than your shorts. That's my motto. Yeah, good point. Hey, Rich. Yeah? I am starving right now. So I want to go somewhere that's intimate, but has really great food and kind of a fun atmosphere. So you know what? I think I'm going to head down to Eli's. Well, they got to be doing it right. They've been there since 1994. Yeah. And well, you know, a big part of it is because uh, Chef Erica is always there and she's making some of the greatest dishes on this island. Oh, they got some real island favorites in my book. The tuna nachos, the arugula salad with warm goat cheese. How can you go wrong? Totally. And you know what's really cool is that the dishes are crafted with fresh local ingredients. Yeah. And the menu, you know, it changes too. They have exciting seasonal changes to the menu. So, you know, what you find on there in the spring, it, it'll be different by the fall. Yeah. And they're always great no matter what they're. But hey, you know what I really love doing is sitting at the bar because they have an amazing wine list. And when Rosemary's bartending, she makes a Rosarita, if you know what I'm saying. Uh-huh. And she also rich. Here's one of the things she does. She makes martinis with just the right amount of ice shavings floating on the top oh i love that sheen you know along with partners brad and Ann martins eli's features a warm friendly staff of local island service industry veterans and they're there and they're going to make sure that your experience is absolutely perfect and they've got an extended season march to november and then they open back up for new year's yeah i've been there for new year's it's fun cool so, but they don't take reservations so you will notice because it's so great there's a line out the door yeah i'm gonna check the menu first online at eli's blockisland.com surf's up dude bro what am i gonna do i'm out of surfboard wax i wish there was a surf shop here on block island guess what you're in luck because there is diamond blue surf shop oh my god i love that place but you know what rich it's so much more than just a surf shop oh yeah diamond blue is located at the four way at bridgegate square cool that's on my way to the beach and you know what when i'm there i think i might get a new bathing suit but they also have hats uh sunglasses footwear surfwear everything yeah they got tons of great place to christmas shop even if it's summertime but they they also do rentals they'll rent surfboards paddle boards wetsuits boogie boards kayaks and beach chairs yeah and you know what if you don't know what you're doing on a surfboard unlike ourselves obviously yeah, of course they have lessons by some of the island's most experienced surf instructors rich check this out 
I never stood up on a surfboard until last summer. And it was all because of Diamond Blue. Judy was out there giving the kids some lessons, and I just went out with them, and I caught a wave. Wow, that that's awesome. Maybe I'll try it. I don't know. I'm a little nervous, but not with those instructors. Uh, so listen, stop down and visit Jen and the gang. They're all so fun and friendly. Jen's a longtime island local, super cool and groovy. And, you know, their merchandise, if, if you know, can't make it in the store, go online and uh, check them out. Yeah. What's that website address again? DiamondBlueBI.com. Hey, Rich, do these bell bottoms make me look fat? Bell bottom? Oh, wait. It must be Monday and you're going to disco night at Captain Nick's. Well, yeah, of course I'm going to disco night at Captain Nick's. I'm the DJ, man. I got to be there. <laughs> that place is so much fun. So much fun. And the fun doesn't end after Monday because on Tuesday and Wednesdays, we have dueling pianos followed by Dr. Wes Chesterson's sloppy seconds. What are sloppy seconds? Well, that's when I play the piano for the rest of the drunk people there at the end of the night. Oh, that sounds fun in itself. And Thursdays, they've got live acoustic acts and full bands and DJs. Yeah. And Friday and Saturday afternoons, we have acoustic acts on the deck at 5.30. Uh, Fridays are Delaney, and then Saturdays are Buddy Rob Davis. And then Friday and Saturday nights, they've got the best live bands on Block Island, like Derek and the Fun Bags, The Blushing Brides, Fever, Neil and the Vipers, West End Blend, and the High and Mighty Brass Band, just to name a few. Yeah, and uh, the bands aren't over just because Friday and Saturday night ends. On Sunday afternoons, the Young Guns take the stage on the deck at 5.30. Sunday fun day, and what if you're hungry? They got food. Food, right? Yeah, for sure. All right. So they've served food out of Captain Galley seven days a week, including some late night grub. So, you know, if you're hungry, stop in late night and grab a bite. Yeah. And if you want to check out the full entertainment schedule, let's just head over to CaptainNick'sBI.com. All right. Thanks to all those sponsors and thanks for hanging with us. And uh, we are here with uh, Jack, who's making fun of me. I He's too smart for me to even understand why he's making fun of me. Um, yeah, so we talked about you coming to Block Island, the family and all that. Uh, I, I do have a bunch more I want to cover, but let's get into the fishing. So you had the jackpot. That boat was always a, a, a fixture in the hog pen, as far as I can right. remember. When did you, did the jackpot come with you when you came, or did you? No, uh, what happened was, uh, uh, I was thinking about this driving down this morning, uh, one of the trips off in the boat one morning uh, or one day, there was striped bass in an orange, you know, uh, bag, and there were um, five or six, you know, big fish, and a tag on it said Dodge. So I asked around. I said, "Who the hell is this Dodge guy that, that's <laughs> catching these bass?" Well, it was Charlie Dodge, and I just got in the boat, which is called a Go Fish, the green boat. Oh, is that what that, his name was? That, Go that, Fish. Well, that was the, that was the boat at first. Okay. And um, uh, so I said to Charlie, "You you want to get in the business?" He said, "Oh, I'd love to." And he was he was running a small twenty one foot sea craft and going out and catching giant tuna with that. So I figured this guy knows what he's doing. So we uh, we started with the the go fish with two engines on it, and the price of gas was just driving us crazy because Charlie would run thirty miles in a day and come back and stuff. So we bought another boat. Which was called the Jack Spot, okay, and that was a thirty-one foot, like a Bertram. I forget it was made in Rhode Island. It was a pretty solid boat, and we we, we fished that for about two or three years. But I used to say to Charlie, Charlie, you don't want to fish customers; you want to fish fish. And the giant tuna fishery then was really uh, a booming thing. Yeah. I caught I caught two or three off the boat. One of them went to China. I mean, went to, went to Japan, and we made twenty grand on that yeah, right fish. Yeah, yeah. So. Charlie sort of gravitated more to the fish than the people, and uh, and his wife Debbie was uh, the mate and stuff. And I fished with him quite a bit, 
and we had a good run. It was fun. Nice. Um, so uh, then I then I oh and I was tr- I had tried to sell the uh, uh, the go fish. It was on. It was up in uh, a yard in Rhode Island someplace. So I called up the guy and I said uh, I had sold the jackpot. And then uh, uh, I called the guy up and I said, you know, put it back in the water and get it ready. And I went over and got it, brought it back here. So that's history. So it's it's down in the hog pen. It's now owned by a friend of mine called Tony Cronman, uh, who's a neighbor of mine, but also a great fisherman. We had great times fishing together. And uh, so he's got the boat. As a matter of fact, uh, when I when I sold the boat to them, I they they each he and another guy named Jose uh, De Lassa, um sort of bought the boat together and I made them a deal. I said, uh, the price is X. You could cut that in half. Your half is this and your half is this. It's payable over two years, except it's not to me. It's going to be the Mary D fund and the Bimmy. Oh, wow. wow. So, wow. Yeah. So, so I got, I, I got the comfort to know that the boat was in good hands and that some couple of Island, uh, uh, organizations benefited. Plus I'm out here now this week to fish with my buddies. We've been doing this for 25 years. And I had a little clause in the contract that said I could use the boat in June. So, so if that was, look at the lawyer coming out, he's like, well, I, I slipped a little, and they're like, wait, we're going through the this. the Santa business. clause. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to give, but I got to so, get this in June. So I just had a text with Tony and we're, we're going to probably take the boat out this afternoon. Cool. Uh, if we don't oh, keep a, you here too long. Right. Yeah. That's a great story about that boat. So here's another point I'd like to, or, or I'd just like to, mention this to any you know we just discussed you know if was it like were you one of the new york lawyers moving in back in the day but now they're still coming in if there's any lawyers hype you know out there that are coming in remember this story yes and make sure that when you sell your boat you give it back to the island (laughs) yeah that's right no you he's always i mean i'll tell the story about the wedding right now so um Madden, who's been on the show, Jack's granddaughter, uh, just got married. I officiated the wedding. Yep. Um, I the, the same sentence was repeated to me so many times by so many different people. They'd say, where are you from? And I said, oh, I'm from out on Block Island. Oh, we love Block Well, we used to love Block Island. Oh, but, yeah. You know, Jack sold his house. So it just <laughs> gave me... <laughs> 20, 30 times. It gave me a yeah. glimpse into how many of these people yeah. were invited to come out and stay with you, and yeah. you shared. No, not invited, just show well, up. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. let's clarify. You say that, but after one visit, you can make them either feel like they can right. just show up again or right. not. Right. And you, you know, it just became overwhelming to me that you shared Block Island yeah. with so many friends and family. Uh, you know, it, it was something you had, and you knew it was a good thing, and I just, I was overwhelmed. By the end of the night, I was like, my gosh, you know, this was, you know, a giving man who just wanted yeah. to share what he had here with everyone. Right. And I thought that was really, really nice. Well, Madden has never forgiven me for selling the house. N- well, you know, <laughs> things, things happen. Well, you know? no, we, we both, uh, my wife and I are in our mid-80s now. Yeah. And we knew it was time to, to, to uh, downsize and simplify yeah. our lives. So we did that. We moved down to uh, Delaware with a family a cottage that Helen's been in Helen's family since the 1950s. And my three daughters will inherit the house. So I fixed it up and I figured every dime I put in was yeah. three cents for each one of them, you know. So that's, that, was, that made a lot of sense. So and, and the thought of bringing a boat down there never occurred to me. I said, I've, I've done, I'm done with boats. So now I fish off the, off the beach down there. With the fishing's not great. I started fishing down there years ago, but the fishing's not great. And uh, I met a friend who's actually out here with me, and I'm going to hopefully show him how to catch a big fish rather than these six-inch fish we catch off the beach. <laughs> well, yeah, we yeah. throw a throw a line in the water. We sit down, have a beer, and, and talk. 
And if the fish shows up, you know, maybe that's fine. But if they don't, it's okay too. Well, yeah. What's the saying? I I fish to get away from my wife, and once in a while, it's annoying because I got to take one off the hook and, <laughs> and let it go. Well, it's almost like that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you. All right. So let's dovetail, if it's okay, into your your avid fisherman, and I use that word strongly. You you love fishing. I do. I mean, I do. really love it. All yep. kinds. Um, but then you you brought your passion of fishing into being an author. And right. Now, what came first? Was it the uh, fishing up the moon? Yes, it was. And that was uh, uh, Charlie Dodge, I think, had written a little blurb about fishing for Peter Wood, who had the paper then. And uh, you know Peter. Peter's a very, yeah. very terrific guy. And I uh, and I love him dearly. And uh, so he said to me, he said, look at what Charlie would turn in, which was uh, okay. And he said to me, do you think, you think you could write a little column and maybe, you know, help Charlie help you with the stuff? So I said, fine. And I did it for 11 years. And I set up a, a information retrieval system. I had uh, go fish books in the, in the tackle shops. And I would go out and gather information and guys down on the dock and I'd get information. And then um, it evolved in a, I wrote for the summer issues. It was like uh, six times a summer or four times a summer. But I would, there was a pretty good column. I didn't mention all the kids that caught fish that I could get, to get, you know, get that information. Uh, and at times I would write about various fish, block, the, the bass, the tuna, the bluefish, how to cook them, how to find them, how to bait them and all that stuff. So that's, where the, that's what the, how the book evolved, okay. Fishing Up the Moon. And... Um, I published that in, uh, I guess, around 95. I was maybe earlier, but I, I did uh, uh, revise it a little bit and had it printed again. So I think I sold about 5,000 copies of that. And everybody, every home on the island has one that has a copy of yeah, that. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like the Bible, where to fish and all that stuff. So uh, that's how that evolved. And then came Sword. Sword actually grew out of the Weatherby stuff. So it, oh, Weatherby first, and then Weatherby sword. was first because I had this fascination with the Weatherby. Uh, one of the first times I ever came to the island, were over at the High View because we went there for swordfish, and it was you know that was it was cooked beautifully, and you'd have they used to radio. So in the old days of the High View, I don't know if you know this, they they'd had to radio to the fishing boats in the kitchen, and the fishing boats would radio in, and the chef would respond, "Yeah, I need one." And but that that I was did it. not like, know they that. would they yeah. would they would already know the fresh swordfish was right. coming in really. Yeah. Now, was this when Gary Ryan owned it? No, previous to him, uh, what was the chef's name? I want to say it was like an Andy or something. Uh, I I think I um, knew. You know something? That could have been the chef we hired for the broiler. Oh. Oh, I think he was over there, and then he gravitated over to Reds. You savvy man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So who owned the whole Highview at that time? Do you Uh, remember? You know, I don't remember. Gary Ryan and and his wife and their mother-in-law or somebody. Yep, Lily. Lily, exactly. Uh, but before that, I can't remember. Uh, yeah, I'm having a hard time remembering. No, either way, too. I was just curious. Look at some that. listener out there. Send us an email. Yeah, right, we can freshen yeah, up right. on who that was. But so you'd go over there, and, and that's, and then obviously you went down into what where Club Soda is now. Right. So the, when I that, that first time, I was, and I'm looking at the striker, which is you know it's an amazing painting. That's it's, it's oh, a great the, big painting. Yeah. It was in the dining room, and I'm sitting there, and I and I said to myself, "Gee, that's terrific!" And was you know, and I started to ask around and say, "Okay, this was a harpoon fishery a hub." And so I went down to the dock, and I'm looking around. Where the hell are the uh, swordfish boats? They're not here. 
So my interest was, was peaked, and I so I started to do some research, and I realized that the thirty eight hurricane wiped out most of that most of that fleet. And then um, Meg and I, my youngest daughter, who was uh, uh, was working into a, a photography career at that time, we came out, and at that point, Mike Fenimore owned it, right? And that was in the um, mid nineties, I think. And she set up with a big box camera, a medium medium format camera, and lights and stuff, and it was bare because of that, that you know it's all it's a low ceiling down yeah. in there, and the paintings were in terrible shape. Yep. They still they still are, and uh, so we she took about forty or fifty images of the upstairs stuff. We had this room there was there were small paintings in the rooms, so we got about forty images, and um, uh, we published about ten. And uh, John Gastner had that um, that gallery up, uh, I think, which is was it, I think oh, uh, was it was corner of Beach Ave, like well, the one in the middle, the big yeah. long building. And that didn't even have a floor in it. And John said, oh, yeah. "Oh, we'll do this." And he put then he put a floor in the building. Yeah. And we ha- and we had an opening, and and I we had these and, it, and the, the, I made prints. You know, I did a litho run, yep. and um, and they said, "Oh well." And then uh, uh, Pam, I, I gave they would sell them through the Historical Society and stuff like that. And then um, uh, ten years went by, and people kept saying to me, "You're going to issue some more lithographs and stuff." And um, uh, so, um, did you have a good patent lawyer to make sure yeah, you were IP know? to make sure you <laughs> own the rights to that? That was all copyright stuff. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah. good. Well, but had, you you know a guy. Yeah, I knew a guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I had a contract with uh, with Mike about the paintings. I had an exclusive right to reproduce the paintings. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, and, and and I think he had a partner that was very upset about that. I, I, I'm going to leave his name out because I, mm-hmm. yeah, I probably enough. can't. I probably can't remember. That's it, fine. But, mm-hmm. uh, Anyway, uh, so um, I started to talk to Elwin Dodge, who uh, has since passed away, but he had a great memory. He's uh, he's related to Dickie Stinson. Yeah, I've been. I'm working on getting Dickie Stinson yeah, to right. come for an interview with and us. Dickie, Dickie was very material because he was a, he was he he, he, he was a his, harpooner and he, yeah. he lived it. Yeah. So from uh, the time he was a little boy, right? Like, you know. So Elwin, Elwin went through the whole thing with his with the Betty B and his father, and uh, so I would go up to his house, and we'd sit, and and I would make notes as fast as I could, and he had was an ama- had amazing memory, and I took some great pictures of him and stuff, and I'd run back to the house and I transcribed the notes, and then I would set up another meeting with him, and we get so I got a huge amount of information, and a lot of the uh, of the incidents in Sword are based on stories, actual stories that he told me. So Sword is really a fictional historical fiction work Mm -hmm. um it follows the timeline from about the late 30s into the 90s and the the subtitle of the book is you know the history short history of the harpooning harpoon fishery and its demise and uh in the heyday was actually uh probably before the 40s because there were all these there were were, this was a hub they probably had 40 or 50 harpoon boats out yeah so i traced their <clears throat> Excuse me. I traced their sort of their the modus operandi, how they would outfit the boats in the spring. They put the towers on and the and the pulpits, and they would go out with two or three guys. And they would some had day boats. They would get one or two fish, and they go into into Point Judith to sell them, or they bring them back here and sell them the restaurants. And the bigger boats, like the Betty B, who had an ice hold, and they would stay out for two or three days and be able to catch more fish. Yeah. So uh, all and that was for the Weatherby book. 
So I was taking it. To sort me. of have, you know, a little background on each pic on the pictures. and Right. And, and that's right. And, and that now the book was all the images we had. And I, it was divided, it's divided into three parts, the sword fishing, the island, and um, oh, I forget what the third part is. Yeah. Because the uh, the mural in the bar yeah. is, a, is a tour of the island. You right. It's a 360-degree view. That was, that was yeah. the island. Yeah. And uh, I guess the other stuff was just other paintings that he did. But the sword fishing was really interesting. He would go out on the boats with these guys. As a matter of fact, he would go out on the— Weatherby, we're talking about. Weatherby, Weatherby. Weatherby, right. Yeah. And he, he, was, uh, he was in New York. I, was, I did a lot of research on him and, yeah. and found a fair amount of information. Can was, you give us a little thumbnail sketch of who H.D. Weatherby was for well, our listeners? Cause... Okay. Um, this is going on memory. Um, you can make it up. Too. Yeah, no, I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't <laughs> lawyers don't do that. That's right, right, right. Yeah, Fact, right. Just the facts. Yeah, <laughs> and and in writing, when you write as a lawyer, you have to be extremely accurate, and every every sentence should have a footnote. Right. When I and somebody said to me, "Why don't you just do a nonfiction? I mean, yeah, nonfiction <laughs> book about Weatherby?" I said, "I don't want to do that. Yeah. I want to be able to write what I want to write right, and right. without a footnote." So, yeah. anyway, Weatherby was uh, lived in Manhattan, and uh, he came out here. In the 40s, he'd been up in the vineyard during the war. Um, he um, liked to have a scotch every now and then, and he made a deal with a guy named Lyman Lynch, who owned this, the uh, the Highview at the time in the 40s. And he said, you know, give me a, a bed and booze and, and food, and I'll, do, I'll paint these paintings for you. And so on the swordfish stuff, he would go out on the boat with, um, with uh, Dickie's uh, grandfather, uh, Stinson. Yeah. Uh, it was Stanley Stinson was here alive. I remember that when I first came out on the island, he was driving a cab then, and his his uh, Gene Stinson is the guy. He is the striker, and he's in a number he's of paintings. He's the guy. He's the man. I think that's the most quintessential Weatherby painting, right? Yeah, when and, we but, say, and yeah. that's that's that's, Gene, that's Gene Stinson. No kidding. Yeah, and huh. and then so he would go out and he had he would uh, the story was that he'd take uh, paper bags and he would you know make sketches on the paper bags. And then he'd come back and he would paint these paintings. And the thing about it, they were technically very accurate because uh, I learned from just Elwin and, and uh, Dickie exactly how he went about rigging the boat and how he went about you know, harpooning a swordfish. And when you look at the paintings, they were very technically accurate. Yeah. And there's a, in the, actually in the sword, there's a, couple, there's a chapter about it. And I, some people say, that's a, that's a lot of detail. I said, well, that's the way that they did it. And, uh, but there's also so much character in those paintings oh, too, yeah. and life and yeah, vibrant. He captured just, the essence, but he's yeah, the technical parts. There. I just I just loved all that stuff. So yeah. so then then uh, I so the Weatherby book has got a lot of of um, description of the paintings, and then I realized that I had a, a file on swordfish. We know when I was writing the column. I had a file for each kind of fish that I would write about. And I looked back to that, and I had a lot of good stuff. Uh, like, uh, you know, a, 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 um, oh, a, a, a newsletter from one of the big fishing associations. Some guys from Rhode Island, uh, I, I can't remember the boat, but they went out in one day and they, and they actually trolled uh, up three swordfish, which was just unbelievable. Yeah, I didn't even see the swordfish, and again, I troll them because they, they don't really take baits that way. Yeah. Anyway, so I had that, all that stuff in the file, and I started doing some more research, and and uh, and I said, "Gee, this is there's a there's a story here," and that's how sword evolved. So it was fishing up and fishing up the moon. There's a chapter about swordfish, right? And right. Jesse Edwards went on. I said, "Go over and make a drawing of the striker." So that's in 
fishing up the moon, and a little chapter on swordfish. And then the next thing is the weather bees, and the story about the weather bees and how they came about. And the next thing is sword. And you know, there's a thread. A thread. Before we go on to, I'm going to tell you a little story. Our, and I may have told it during Madden's podcast, but I don't remember. So we had a terrible tragedy, my partner and I, and the uh, plane crashed and burned down right. our, our business. Remember that? Yep. I know you do because we were, we then there was some fundraising and we were able to scrape together and borrow as much money as we could. We were just too young guy. We didn't have anything, you know, so we, we got the place going and open. And, um, this gentleman right here, Mr. Lynch walks in the door with a whole set of the Weatherby prints oh, framed f- and ready to go on the walls. Oh, I forgot about that. Yes. And he said, this is for you guys to help wow. you get, you know, decorate with local, this, you know, and I thought, oh, how nice. You that's know? really yeah. nice. By the way, Rich, there's no Mr. Lynch on block. Island. Oh, sorry. He's sorry. Jack. Okay. Jack. <laughs> Jack came in the door and, um, Luckily, there wasn't a Santa Claus in there anywhere. So, oh, right. to, so, so now they're in my now they're in my house in Gary's house, and we have great Weatherby That's artwork on the walls cool. thanks to this man here. And I, I can't walk through the house without thinking of him. Oh, right. You know, because it just one of those things that touches your your heart, and um, and it just touched me. And so you know, you walk by, and there's certain things in your house that you can't not think about something. Right. And it's one of those things, and it's yeah. really. Uh, well, they they're really, also they're also in Rehoboth. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, and yeah, it's also funny too. Not to hide, you know, change subject, but uh, you know, I was out in Los Angeles visiting a friend a couple years ago, and we went to some frou-frou-y restaurant, and there on the menu was Block Island Swordfish. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah still yeah. to this day, yeah. I've, I've commented on that many times. <laughs> I found them. A lot of people gave me some old menus, like from New York City and stuff. Oh yeah, and they were still in there, and yeah. you know, it was a. Uh, Block Island Swordfish, dollar fifty-five. Right, What did they profit in? You know, I know three we, cents a pound. When, off the when, fish? when Katie and I used to run the uh, the uh, Harbor Grill, you know, which used to be the uh, Orchid Lounge and all that, we uh, found some old menus, and it was like, yeah, swordfish, like two dollars. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, Dickie Stinson had, and that's in Sword. He's the sort of the end of the story because he was the, the last guy to harpoon and uh, try to make a living at it. And I, I had this log book and stuff, which was great because I could really get some sort of statistical stuff. But he had the boat, uh, what was the name of that boat? Uh, it was a gorgeous boat. And it was uh, a two-masted boat, or maybe just a single-masted boat. But he, and he extended the mast so he could go up 80 feet in the air or something like that, and he could see way out. And he used to come in here, and I remember one time I I come down to the harbor in the morning, and there's this fantastic looking boat, and I said, "What what is that?" Wow! It turned out to be he. It's a harpoon boat, and he would come in here in the fall with a whole a hold full of of uh, deheaded and detailed and of of swordfish. Wow! And I remember uh, John Swenton telling me he would go down and pick out the one that had the pink meat. You know, there'd be a 90-pounder, and he'd go home and slice it up, put it in the freezer. It freezes real well. does. And the restaurants then would have super fresh yeah. harpoon swordfish. And you see that on a menu. You have to say, is that true? When it's true, it's generally going to be really good swordfish. Yeah. And uh, But then, you know, that dried up because the the, uh, the harpoon fishery went away. Yeah. What happened was, and this is all in the book, is that the longlining started. Yes. Yeah. And that was like a lottery for the guys who— Used to harpoon if they could get into that game, then they, they could catch in one week this the, the minimum number of swordfish they'd catch in a season, maybe yeah. in two seasons. The only sad thing that I witnessed firsthand with that is uh, unintentional kills. So, in other words, when you're oh, yeah, so if, correct me if I'm wrong. So, he, when 
you talk about a harpoon boat. The harpoon boat has the crow's nest and then the long extended Pul- pulpit. The pulpit. That's what that's called. Yep. Okay. What do you call the thing on the front that sticks? Way that's out? a pulpit. Oh, that's the pulpit. Okay. And the pulpit. And you've got a spotter because you were sight fishing. You were looking for these Correct. swordfish lingering near the surface, feeding and wallowing in the sun. And then the striker would be the. The, right. the guy throwing the harpoon. And they would run the boat from up on top. Yeah. From they, had, the, they had real crude uh, just ropes and stuff yeah. and pulleys. And they, they would get positioned so that the sun would be behind the striker. And they would move up on the fish, and then he would strike the boat. The, keep the, fish. keep the keep the striker in right. the blind spot of the fish, so right. you could you know. And, and he had to hit. He would try to hit him right around the, the the gill area, which is the vital area. And the dart was only about five inches long, but it would go in, and then it would toggle. It would yeah. turn, and uh, they would throw over a keg and about three hundred feet of line. And the guy uh, and the a fish, kid and a kid in a boat. Well, they would put a guy in the dory boat and say, you know, you follow that uh, that keg. And uh, and if he once he got the keg, he put the keg in the water, and they'd bring the stuff back up. And hopefully, the swordfish had expired. Sometimes when they hadn't, they get a little second life, and they would they would come and either go put the sword right through the the main boat. There's plenty of boats that had the swordfish right through three two planks, oh, wow. two planks of uh, oak, or they'd hit the dory. And uh, right. W W Burroughs, there was another there was another guy that he's since gone too. Oh, Captain W. Yeah. So he told me what he he was when he was a young guy, he was a doryman, and he said he he found a big piece of steel sheet on the in the dump and he put it in the bottom of his dory because when the swordfish would come up and and try to go through the bottom of the dory, they'd hit the steel sheet <laughs> and not him. Wow. And then when they when they finally got the the the, the swordfish alongside the dory, they put the oar up. And that was a signal to the main boat to come over. And then that's one of the Weatherby paintings. You can see there's a guy standing in the dory, and they've got a a boom and a you know a, um, a a pulley system, and they got the fish by the tail and up into the boat. And I was told there were times where the fog would roll in between the time of harpooning and getting picked back up by the boat. You know, yeah. basically like yeah. we'll be back for you, kid. Keep yeah. an eye on this swordfish, right. and when you got him, let us whistle. know. Whistle, whistle loud. But man. all of a sudden, yeah. they start whistling and trying <laughs> to remember what the engine of their boat sounded like. There'd yeah. be several boats around. You right. try to remember. But based on the sound of you, that engine of the boat you were on, yeah. you would try to row over. And uh, hopefully we get Dickie on tells the story, but he said one time they thought they lost him. And they ended up finding him like drinking vodka on a Russian fishing boat. Because at the time. <laughs> <laughs> really? The, the, yeah, he rode to the wrong in the fog. Oh he rode God. towards the wrong boat. Comrade. Comrade. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, and there was no international fishing laws back then. You know, like yeah. there was no guidelines. Any boat could fish anywhere right. within. There was, you know, there wasn't a line separating domestic water from yeah. international water. If I have that right, I think. Well, wow. I think those lines were there, but no one, yeah, no one, no one, no one paid yeah. any attention. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They do now. But, you know, that's a pretty funny wow. story. Story, I yeah. mean, that's you know, men were men, I guess, in those days, uh, f- fishing. Boys were men. <laughs> Boy, that's what I mean. Yeah. It's like, yeah, the 12, 13-year-old kid is like, it's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, we talked to Everett Littlefield, who uh, fished with his grandfather, right, and uh, told us some of the stories. And I was just like, what did you wear? Like, you didn't have... <laughs> oils i mean you didn't have gore-tex and, and grundles yeah you and, didn't yeah, have any of that, that. so yeah. he's like well we wore cotton sweatpants or you know union suits and then we yeah. layered it up i'm like yeah but wasn't it soaked through by would, the end of the day he's like yeah but they would dip it in like 
oh, yeah. in tar. Like they would make right. their own rubber gloves right. because they didn't, yeah. they didn't exist. So they'd yeah. buy like a cotton glove and then you'd <laughs> dip them in. You'd dip them in this gr- and they'd rub it all over. Yeah. There. That's how you made your jacket rainproof. Right. You yeah. Know, and, uh, oil skins. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. They would yeah. rub the oil on there and with lard and. <laughs> I don't know what smelled worse, probably. Maybe, is that the fish? No, no, no. The fish is fresh. That's my jacket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No, but I mean, here we are. We're like, oh, the restaurant business, such a grind. It's so hard. And then it's like, no, that's hard work. <laughs> yeah, Sword yeah. fishing in nineteen the 1930s, that was hard. Yep. Well, I tell you, um, and we're going to get an autograph from him, cool. our copy of Sword to uh, put in our guest uh, collection. You know, I'm kind of excited for that. Yeah. Um, I did have one caveat. I'm not going to lie. I had to, I had to agree to one thing with Jack. Okay. And that is that Jack, for all you listeners out there, Jack believes firmly that there's a screenplay in this book sword. And I promised that I would put it out there and see if anybody listening knew anybody check out the book and maybe we can find someone to, uh, to make a film on this. Mm. So, you yeah, know, it, because it, it, it would make a great film. I think there's enough yeah. material there. Yeah. And so, uh, okay. I, there, I followed through and I said, it's good. Pump out the idea. Maybe right. finding someone who could, uh, and when I, when maybe I give us a little screenplay out of it. Yeah. When I published the book, I did a lot to push it. And I, I, went, I remember going on the radio and whatever station that, that, that it's over on the mainland and I did that for a couple of months, and and we and I sold. I went up to Martha's Vineyard, some friends up there, and I would you know stay with them, and then go to the bookstores and give them a box of books and stuff. And it sold pretty well. I gave talks on the vineyard. Uh, as a matter of fact, I ran into a, a, a guy who gave me some some printing, some um, newspaper clippings of some of the early stuff from Prohibition, which is which would be my next book if I ever get around to writing it. Um, and uh, so he pushed really hard, and I, and you know, it, being in my field, I knew a lot of people in the city and stuff. Uh, the city, meaning New York City, by the way. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we this, thought you meant Narragansett. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, uh, and and the the sad thing is that you know, um, a, a, let's see. Uh, a, 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 a mature gentleman, uh, uh, a gentleman yeah, of, so certain, I'm, of a I'm, certain age. I'm yeah. avoiding a lot of those work words, yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. you know the, the publishers weren't interested in that, and the, and, the, and the movie people they wanted you know they wanted some young story and you know with tragedy and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so I did I did try to find someone who you know might be interested in taking it as a as a thing as a as a movie script. And now, you know, with with Netflix, they're just they're just dying for uh, content, good content. Yeah. But it's yeah. very very hard to pierce that. Yeah. So I've been I've, I'm, I'm, I sort of and that's when I said to Rich, I said I'm I'm going to try to reignite this to see if I can <laughs> find you know someone who can who can set it say look at here's a book forget the, forget the old guy that wrote it but here's a good story. I got a guy for you. I it just can't, I know I know a guy. I, I mean I don't know him personally, but I know who should do this. There was a guy. I don't know if you ever heard of the movie, but it sounds like about what you're talking about kind of it's about a guy a guy and two of his friends that go out and 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 try and catch this fish they put barrels in it and it goes under the boat it's called jaws uh, <laughs> steven peter, spielberg that's the guy no, peter you, ben, peter benchley it was well, the he writer. wrote it right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 but but spielberg, spielberg made the movie so maybe he's your guy yeah you know and how do you get to someone like that and, if, and if, oh, I'll text him right now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah. a podcast. He's yeah. listening. He'll yeah, listen to this. He probably and, and, and one of the things in sport, so I mean, so I've just had someone down in Rehoboth read the book, and she was just fascinated about it. It's the story about the German submarines. Yeah, and during the First World War with the Starbuck, which was a, a, a boat from here that was sunk by the German subs, and then in Second World War they did the same thing, and uh, and then the sub that was sunk off here. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, that's all real stuff. I mean, Elwood Dodge, he said, we, uh, his house is up on the, on the, just above the spring house. And he said, we sat up all night long uh, listening to the depth charts. Boom, 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 wow. all night. Wow. You know? and, that's and, crazy. And then he crazy. said, it, we, we, dawn came and here comes these, these dirigibles from Lakehurst, New Jersey, to, to finish the job. And so th- that's all factual. Uh, you go on Wiki uh, and you you plug in the, the the number of the sub, and they comes up with a complete page of uh, the sub, who the captain was when the keel was laid, how many campaigns. It was just an amazing amount of stuff. So I uh, I've conflated some stuff, but it, a lot of it's true. The the the, uh, um, the sinking of the submarine. Um, which I describe in there was sort of a combination of different things that actually happened. Yeah. Um, but imagine uh, being a fisherman and one of your concerns now is being torpedoed by right. a, by a, well, they by a U-boat. They, 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 they were, uh, they had some, they were, they were, uh, they had some human nature to them. They just submarine guys because they didn't, they didn't, they would sink the boat, but they'd say to the crew, get in a dory and start rowing. Oh, and and they did that during yeah. the, during the first war and the second World war. They never took a boat down with with crew on it. Wow. They would say in the first World war, they actually would come over and put depth charges around the boat, give them the dory, and say start rowing. And they might row sixty miles, <sighs> and 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 they all survived. I, I didn't find any instance where someone uh, died. In the Second World War, they simply would fire a, a, a shot across the bow. Warning shot. They'd stop, and they knew what the hell they had to do. When they get in the, the dory, and they'd start rowing, and then they a, a shot to the wow. boat and sink it. So they never, they never, as far as I know, they never took a life. Huh. Wow. I wonder how you say it's probably a good time to leave in Russian. You know, German. (laughs) (laughs) What did he say? I think he said it's a good time for us to go now. Scram. Oh, my God. And the remnants of, you know, World War II and a lot of those things are still here on the island. There's the house uh, with the big white turret now. That was Beacon Hill. uh, No, the the one I'm thinking of is over uh, past St. Andrews. Oh, yeah. Up up towards Southeast Light. But, yeah, yeah, the one on Beacon Beacon Hill. Hill, They actually built a uh, concrete uh, bunker. Yes. And that's right next to the tower. Or in yes. the Browns, right? You know, in yeah. the Browns' house, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, well, that's some history. Really that, cool. That's oh, it's great, great history. That yeah. gave me goosebumps when you talk about listening. Oh, me to too. The, to the oh, my depth charges, like, could you imagine? Um, look, look. Like we get to think about thunder and yeah. hearing yeah. cool nature yeah. sounds, and but imagine hearing them hunting a submarine out there off of the. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> That's crazy, <laughs> right? I never even thought. It's of got that. to be really. Well, and Everett talked about they would practice shooting with the planes and he they one of the kids hobbies was the kids when he was a kid they would go around and look collect all the shells yeah come falling uh, that's how close they were they would use um the ship that sunk off of the southeast light what's up I, I fish it uh is it the light burn is that light burn yeah. 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 so i think they would use that was still sticking out of the water and right. they would use that for practice runs target so they'd, practice. they'd come pretty- they'd come over the cliff and but they'd start firing while I was still over the island. Bup, 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 bup. Yeah, so they the kids would go and find all these the uh, shells, all these oh old God. shells. Yeah. And uh, are you friends? Are you friends? You must be. Do you know Ben Hruska over at the Historical Society? Oh, sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I know yeah. Ben well. Yeah. yeah. Ben just. I don't know if you knew. Is ben, he back here now? He's back. Yeah. He yeah. just. Oh, great. He's next door. He uh, just published a book about the um, the USS Block Island. Which right. Was, uh, exactly. Right. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So he's a, he, you guys. Oh my God. Is he the head of the Historical Society now? Uh, no, I think he's gotten a grant to 
do a lot of digital recording. Okay. Right? So he's taking, okay. he's going so the, through the boxes of documents right, and right. photos. I, 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 and, now yeah. it's coming back. He yep. told me he he's told digital, me about that. Yeah. Yep. yep. He's he's a great resource for the in, island. In yeah. fact, Ben, <laughs> I was literally DJing disco night on this past Monday, and you know people come up to this say, "Hey, can you play this song? Can you play that song?" <laughs> ben comes up earlier in the evening, but it's like ten o'clock. But he was out, and he goes. Hey, how's it going? I just got to show you this. So he's like, check out these photos. And he was very excited because he had just uncovered like some really cool stuff and digitized it. He's like, look at this and look at this and look at, and I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh my God. And I take the headphones off and I'm looking at them. And then like, there's a few people on the dance floor. And then all of a sudden the song runs out because, <laughs> and so there's just dead air radio. So I'm like, oh, hold on, hold on. <laughs> put in another song. Get so it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm like sitting here looking at old photos while I'm DJing disco music. It was very strange, but Ben's wow. awesome. He's a good, good man. wealth of knowledge. Well, um, I think uh, maybe I, I know for a fact, we just heard it. Jack wants to go fishing. So what do you okay. think? Do you oh, think we should start to uh, wrap this up? Sure. Are you yeah. okay with that? I'm a, No, not really, but I guess well, I have to be. I think maybe we can have him back again. Can we lure him back? Ah, See that's what I did a good there? one. It might have to be lure. next year. Well, that's fine. <laughs> right. Whatever. We'll, we'll be here. Sure. We hope, you know. Yeah. We do a silly thing at the end, if you've never heard it, called the lightning round. They're just <laughs> questions that really don't mean anything. It's just kind of whatever comes to your mind first. Are you okay with doing one of those? Yeah, sure. All right, let's have a little fun. Okay. Uh, you want to go first? Go sure. All right, Jack. Um, the fishing trip of a lifetime, anywhere in the world, where would you go? Uh, I, I, te I teach my kids to stay away from superlatives or the, the best of anything, you know. Among the things you'd like to do would be better, yeah. Oh, okay. Where would I, where would I go? Among the things. Yeah. Among, among, the, the among things, your favorite places in the world. What would be one well, of them? I, you know, I, I know the waters around here so well. I, I think I would want to come back here. because ah, I, I, Actually, on this trip, I have two grandsons and a friend who I'm from Rehoboth. And last night, we got down to the rip, uh, the cut, rather. And I, there I am giving them very specific instructions on what to do. I rigged up the rods for them, and I told them how to fish, where to stand. And I said, gee, that, you know, I'm glad to pass that on. My grandsons are in their 20s, and Murphy and uh, Angus. So I, I'd come back here, sure. All right. That's a You're, great answer. I'm still going to ask it, but he ruined one of our questions coming up. You'll see. Okay. All right. Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you like garlic? Uh. Again, you know, if you want the odds, go, you know, go to the track for odds. No, no, like, I mean, but, where, where is garlic I in know. your book? Garlic? I like garlic. Okay. I would give it a five. A five, okay. All right. Uh, Sour Patch Kids or Swedish Fish? I know what a Swedish fish. Sour Patch Kids, well, I don't know what that is. Well, then your answer is Swedish Fish. Yep. They're both candies. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. But I don't care for either one. Then. All right, so neither. Excellent. One of the restaurants that we go to in Rehoboth hands out Swedish fish, and every time I take one, I regret it. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. you don't like to catch you don't like to catch any kind of fish that you're not actually going to eat. That's probably why. Yeah. Right. Right. We yeah. do. We send. We we put back a lot of fish. Right. Swedish yeah. fish. You catch and release Swedish fish. Is what we're getting <laughs> right, at. Right. Okay. Would you prefer to never be stuck in traffic? ever again or never get a cold ever again oh come on <laughs> it's a tough one it may be a tough one but it's it's uh um let's see in the in the, in the mind of, of someone who's logical uh why would you even bother either one okay uh, what stuck in traffic i i can't i can't answer that okay okay good enough for me next question uh what's the what's the what's a greater joy for you catching fish or helping someone catch their first oh, fish the, oh the latter 
I, okay. I figured that. I'm sorry. The, the, the helping someone help that is the yeah, yeah, yeah. I did that. Yeah. I did that with a lot of kids. Yep. Kevin Kevin Hoyt, you remember? Sure. He's, he's still on the island. Yep. Yep. At age five, he and Dougie were out on the boat, and I remember catching bluefish. He, and he's struggle with the ride. So I've done. I like that. That's fun. And would and my you, grandsons have had caught finally big bass too. So would you rather climb the highest mountains or see the deepest seas? Well, I don't like underwater stuff, so I would I wouldn't climb Everest. But I have climbed mountains. I, <laughs> oh, really? In Ireland, I climbed a, a mountain called the Purple. That was that was good. And uh, what's the most number of hours you've watched television in a single day? Ballpark. I'm not, I'm not a big TV person. It's probably a movie. Oh, there you go. Okay, so Two a couple a half, hours. A couple hours. All right. Yeah, good That's enough. it for the lightning round. Jack, yeah. I have to say, you may be one of the smartest people we've ever had on this podcast. Oh, you're, you're also the absolute worst lightning round contestant <laughs> we've ever had. Because so, he thinks it through. I know. He thinks too much. I, there, I, I think love there's it. a certain it's logic amazing. that some people have that the blurt stuff out. <laughs> no, it's it just doesn't, not in the nature. It's not, yeah. it's not what you do. It's think not what you through. do. You right. think through and give Fine. a good answer. Still good answers. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I learned so much today. I really enjoyed this episode this was really, a great one this is really great yeah. thank you again for thank taking you, time Jack. out of your fishing schedule my here. pleasure you're, you're only here for a couple days this time so yep. i know this meant a lot to us no, to, no for problem. You to take time out of there so uh listeners i hope that you enjoyed um this uh, podcast episode with jack just as much as we did uh obviously please uh, reach out any way you'd like to uh, about anything i should say you can reach us at our email at Two guys on bi at gmail.com. Yeah, uh, but don't reach out to us looking, asking if we can find you housing. We would like to make that clear. You don't reach out to us for that. You can try. Never. <laughs> you hurts can try. Ask. Never hurts. Yeah. Right. But anyways, and uh, yeah, make sure you follow us on all of the proper social media channels, whether it's Facebook, Instagram. Uh, most importantly, whatever platform you listen to us on, please hit the subscribe button. That means that our episodes go directly to your little inbox or whatever, and you hear us right away. And even more important than that, just tell your friends about all those friends how much you love two guys on Block Island because we love doing it that's right great cool all right thanks again jack thank you mark and thanks. we'll see you next week all right see ya hey rich what's up um i got a whole trunk full of swedish fish oh you think i can sell them to the block island broiler are they fresh oh yeah man yeah. they're straight from sweden bro oh, yeah you can broil those but low temp otherwise they melt into one big fish Ooh, didn't think about that's that. what i've learned good point what shall we do with the drunken sailor? What shall we do with the drunken sailor? Sailor, we're dying of